Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Beer Ladies podcast. My name is Christina and I am your host today. I'm joined with my co-host Lisa and a very special guest who I will get to in a minute. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. And if you are new here, we are the Beer Ladies podcast. You can check us out on all of the socials, Twitter, Facebook, at Beer Ladies Pod, and of course, wherever you get your podcasts. Now we have a really special guest today. So we have Liz Garibay from the Chicago Museum, and I can't wait to get into the interview. But before we do that, we're going to ask the proverbial question, what are you drinking or what beer have you brought us today? So I'm going to start with Lisa. What are you drinking? So uh, I have the Hope Pass If You Can Pale Ale. Uh, and we, we love Hope. These guys are right here in Dublin. And I, I picked this one tonight because uh, they do a really nice job of uh, getting some local folklore tied into the, the beers. This particular one, the Pass If You Can, is named after um, a, well, I'll say a, a, an alleged highwayman who may or may not have existed. But what I love is that they went off and talked to a reference librarian to get the folklore. So it's at least based in, you know, again, sort of, you know, proper lore. So very here for that. And I love that they're naming the beers after them. And this is just perfect go-to pale ale, you know, right on the money. So always a, always a fan of hope. Amazing. And Liz, what are you drinking or what do you have? <laughs> Uh, well, it's it's still uh, daytime hours where I am, so I'm I'm still on my black coffee here uh, and some water. Um, but uh, what I did, my last beer I did drink, and the beer that is in my fridge right now is um, a beer called uh, Sipes Extra Pale. Um, it's brewed by a local brewery here in Chicago called Metropolitan Brewing. Um, and it's a it's a heritage brand. It, Sipes was once upon a time one of the biggest breweries in Chicago in the 19th century, and uh, the great 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 granddaughter of the original brewery founder um, reached out to me and wanted to revive her family's beer brand. So I helped her uh, do some work on that, and Metropolitan makes it. So it's usually always handy, uh, for sure. It's a very light, um, lovely, uh, easy drinking pilsner. 
Very cool. So I am not drinking tonight, but I saw this at Martin's when I was there on Saturday when it was rainy <clears throat> and it's Dead Center Brewing's uh, Seeking Sunshine Pale Ale, which just was an absolute mood um, that day. So I am really looking forward to drinking this, um, which they describe as a zesty and refreshing pale ale, which sounds like the perfect drink. And if you are familiar, it is officially spring now here in Ireland. So this is the good kind of a drink to bring in the season I think. You're here. So without further ado, Liz can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and your work at the Chicago Museum? Uh, yeah, um, I uh, am born and raised in Chicago uh, to Mexican immigrants, live right in the heart of the city, have attempted to leave uh, several times for graduate school on, on the West Coast and the East Coast United States and in various endeavors. Um, and my background is mostly in archaeology. And uh, after I realized I hated academia, I made a shift <laughs> to uh, 19th century American history. And so what I focus on now is I look at history through the lens of alcohol um, and kind of talk about the role that beer has played in, in different communities through space and time. And having worked in museums since I was about 15 years old, uh, I saw an opportunity um, to create a museum um, dedicated to the story of beer. Uh, no other sort of museums and nonprofits of that level exist. So I started working on the Bruseum, um, gosh, about eight years ago. And uh, while we don't have an actual physical location, we do have a lot of um, partnerships and collaborations we do with museums and alcohol makers around the world. Uh, and that's what we, we kind of focus on, um, a lot of education, but in a very fun and different way. It's amazing. And what, what brought you to, to craft beer? What brought you to beer? Um, well, I mean, you know, it certainly helps that I like to drink. Um, <laughs> um, and I've always sort of gravitated to bars in Chicago and, and kind of like, in you know, where you guys are, you know, the, the sort of neighborhood bar culture is very similar to the pub culture um, in Ireland, for sure. Um, and there's something special, right, about just going into that space. And I've I've always sort of just very, very much felt at home in those spaces. And for that reason, I very much felt okay going into those spaces by myself, just to have a pint and read a book. And, you know, of course, what happens is you end up going to that same bar and become a regular. So, you walk in alone, but you're certainly not alone. Um, and that's sort of what got me into really thinking about drinking spaces as a way to talk about history. Um, because a lot of those old timers, you know, sitting there for 20, 30, 40 years offer quite a bit of valuable oral histories um, about place. And so that's kind of, that was my foray into it. And then I made it a little bit more formal with, you know, research and all that other nonsense, but really what the focus started as was looking at tavern histories in the United States um, and then doing some pub history actually in the UK. And then of course you you go down all kinds of rabbit holes and then there's beer and brewery history and other spirits and fermented beverages make cameos in your work. So that's kind of where I'm at. Very cool. And you mentioned a little bit about some of like the collaborations and stuff you do with the Chicago Bruseum. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Bruseum does and what these collaborations look like? 
Yeah, I mean, so it's really just focused on exploring stories um, and, and looking at how alcohol is a part of that. You know, the, the thing that I learned certainly when I was in graduate school um, and often as well as in museum settings is that uh, unless you make, you know, history incredibly exciting to the public, they're not, they might not care so much. And so luckily for us, you know, alcohol is that nice little carrot to dangle. And, you know, as you start drinking, of course, a lot of those inhibitions start to go down. And so all those, you know, facts and figures, names and numbers start to be less important, but really at the core as a story. So that's what we do with the Bruseum is, is we really kind of talk about history and culture, but using the connection that we all have in alcohol. So um, a lot of the collaborations we have done um, are rooted in a lot of museum work or exhibitions. We did a, a an exhibit at a pretty well-known uh museum um, here in Chicago called the Field Museum. Uh, it's our natural history museum. It's kind of world renowned and, and they recognized um, that we had, you know, content experts in an aspect that they didn't and allowed us to um, have an exhibit at the Field Museum. So we did a whole history of brewing uh, in Chicago uh, at the Field Museum. So that was a really great collaboration for us because obviously, you know, we're sort of like this little guy um, just starting out and, you know, you have the support of somebody massive, like uh, an entity like the Field Museum, and it kind of gives you a lot of street cred uh, in a way. And so, you know, that led us, for example, um, to host what is now our annual conference, the Beer Culture Summit. Um, it paved a way for us to do that in partnership with the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. So it's sort of like I always say that it's the Smithsonian is like the mother, the mothership of all museums here in the United States. And so for to get that sort of a partnership to host a three day conference that really looks at various aspects of history and culture and how alcohol is involved um, has been key. Um, we do uh, sometimes immersive, immersive experiences in other cities where we'll talk about the history and culture of that city um, through the alcohol makers, through the food culture, and we'll look at museums as well. So I actually just got back from Mexico City and led a, a four-day uh, excursion um, through the city uh, so that people can learn about the history and culture of that place. Um, and we visit breweries, we meet with directors of museums like the Frida Kahlo Museum, and oh, wow. uh, you know, talk about her uh, love of tequila, right, and what that meant for her creativity and her community. So we do things like that. And then lastly, it's really about sometimes uh, making beer, right? Um, uh, the best way to, to experience a story is to use your senses and, and tasting uh, for sure is key. So we'll do a lot of collaborations with breweries and museums um, to talk about some aspect of history that people might not know about. So we kind of usually like to do sort of like the the lesser known stories, mm -hmm. if possible. Our, our last collaboration actually was a, a really unique one. It was a, a big endeavor. Um, it involved the four slash five um, black owned breweries in Chicago and surrounding suburbs. Um, and what we did was we created a beer. Each, each brewery had the same sort of base beer recipe and then took a spin on it and the goal was to tell four different stories 
about 1920s, 30s, 40s, Bronzeville, which here in Chicago was the um, historic Black neighborhood, uh, which was full of all kinds of wonderful bars and lounges and theaters and was really sort of um, a major hub for arts and culture in the early to mid 20th century. So talking about people and places uh, during that time that, you know, are kind of in a way forgotten unless you go searching for them. So things like that um, and creating beverages that celebrate different things and people. Well, that's very cool. And, and, and I think maybe for people who aren't uh, super plugged into kind of the museum world, like, like I know Christina and myself have, have worked in that space or have been involved in that space. I think people who just sort of think of museums as, you know, like whether it's the British Museum or the, the National Museum here, whether it's archaeology or one of the others, or again, some of those big ones in the States like the Field Museum or the various Smithsonian's, people think of these big buildings with massive collections, even though they only see, you know, tiny portions of those collections. But I think there's been such a kind of um, kind of upswing, if you like, in these smaller, more focused, um, I, I would say, you know, sort of more sort of niche things, uh, getting out there and getting their stories told because it's about the stories, it's about the material culture, about those oral histories, and finding places to have those stories told. It's not about this big, you know, sort of monolithic building, if you like. So I think that's a great example of how you're able to get out there and you know tell those stories in the community, not just in you know a building that maybe people see you know, as they're walking by. And I think that's a, I'd love to see more people get out of that mindset of the museum is this one place I go and, you know, maybe a thing I do on a field trip or whatever. No, it's a, it's this evolving living thing. So I'm excited right. about that. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is interesting to sort of get super specific about something and be able to sort of go deeper. Right. Um, I know what we go to all these wonderful museums around the world and it's just no. so massive and overwhelming. And you're like, you don't even know, you know, which, which direction to to start in. Definitely. Very cool. So I'm going to actually ask you about um, Viva La Frida, which was your collaboration for your, about the life of Frida Kahlo. And I, I want to know more about that. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, so that was sort of a fun collab we did with, um, there's, a, there's a phenomenal museum here in Chicago called the National Museum of Mexican Art. Um, they've been around for years, and then really they started as this um, amazing community um, museum and have evolved, and they just, now they're, you know, getting these massive grants from millions and millions of dollars, and it's it's fantastic to see sort of um, what they've become, and, and I've been a big fan for a long time, and we, I've done a lot of work with them um, via the Bruseum and outside of the Bruseum, um, so, and, and actually they are the organization that we co-host our trips to Mexico City with, um, you know, to make sure we have a lot of uh, extra content um, experts. So when we were sitting around planning a few different things in the past, um, you know, what came up was that the museum was going to host an exhibition about sort of these um, newly discovered Frida Kahlo photographs. Um, and they were newly discovered because it's one of those situations where they're sort of like found in a box and it's like, what is this? And, and so the, the Frida Kahlo Museum in Mexico City, um, this is where that went down. And so they were lending um, copies of those images to the National Museum of Mexican Art for an exhibition here. And so when I learned about this exhibition, I thought, oh man, this is a great opportunity to do something together. And so we decided on a beer. And the goal was that you know, Frida Kahlo is an internationally recognized name, right, figure. 
Um, and so what we wanted to do was create a beer that um, focused on her, but focused on her in a different way. It's sort of like, why is Frida Kahlo this just very powerful figure that people gravitate to? Like, what is it, right? And we start learning about her story, which is incredibly tragic, to be honest. You know, she she had a really horrible accident um, when she was young and it kind of changed her whole life. And she was in a lot of pain because of it. But she was also just you know, unapologetically honest and, and, and direct. And, you know, she was who she was and, and thinking about the kind of community she created, you know, what I am often inspired uh, by her is that she was basically um, constantly exhibiting different sides of herself um, and creating communities in different spaces, right? So obviously she's an icon of femininity, right? Because she's this powerful woman, but she was also openly queer, you know, um, had multiple relationships with multiple people, open and honest about it. Um, she was just a very authentic person. Um, again, if you know her story, it's a, it's a story of triumph, right? Obviously there's an arts community that she's working with. Um, she loved communists, openly loved communists, you know, and, and, and hosted a lot of these um, folks at her house in, in Mexico City. And so I think that the fact that she just connected so tightly to so many different kinds of communities, but also if you think about it, you know, this is like the 1920s, right? Like this is a hundred years ago. And so for her to be so open and honest about who she was at that time is a little bit remarkable. And so I think that for us as a modern audience, if we look back on her life, it's sort of like, wow, man, this, this woman is just like a force of nature. And I think she inspires a lot of people, but because she connected to all these different communities, we, you know, I like to say that we all connect to Frida because there's a little bit of Frida in all of us, right? And so that was sort of the goal with the beer, um, with with making something that kind of celebrated that aspect of who she was and, and celebrating ourselves, really, you know? And so- in terms of the beer itself, we wanted to, I, we always try to be as authentic as possible in everything that we do and, and be really thoughtful about it. So um, like I said, my parents uh, are from Mexico, uh, Mexico City. So I'm first generation Mexican um, uh, daughter of immigrants. The National Museum of Mexican Art founded by Latinos, right? Focuses on Latino art and culture. And so we really wanted to have a brewery um, that had that connection as well. And so there's a great little brewery here in Chicago called Casa Humilde, which means humble house in Spanish. And it's owned by two uh, Latino brothers. Their parents also, their grandparents actually were immigrants um, from a different part of Mexico. And so we thought that, you know, here you have three entities coming together that all have uh, tried and true Latino roots um, to make this beverage, right? So it's, it's, it's genuine. It's our story too. Uh, from our from our history and heritage, um, and then thinking about that further, and thinking about Frida Kahlo, you know, this this sort of like beacon of light that she was. We wanted to take some of those very vibrant colors in Mexican culture, and so um, and also a, an ingredient that was uh, very much a part of our culture as well. And so we went with hibiscus, and we created oh, nice. this hibiscus um, uh, ale that um, sorry a hibiscus lager, a hibiscus and lime lager that is just this beautiful bright pink uh, color, red color. 
and it's just unbelievably delicious. And so, you know, you make these things, right? And you trust the brewers that they're going to make good beer. We definitely <laughs> try to work with breweries that we know will make good beer. And, you know, what we do is we sit down and have these conversations and then we kind of say, hey, that's it. Go, go, go make something. Right. And then we'll do some tastings and, and agree on something. And, um, Javi and Jose who run Casa Mil Day really hit it out of the park. And, you know, you have these sort of like, I don't know, one-off collaborations and just see how they do when you create an event and blah, blah, blah. But this is an example of one of our collab beers doing so well. Um, I think not just because of the story, but how delicious this beer is that now it's, it's available year round. So when you guys come oh, visit nice. in Chicago, um, we'll have to get you some Viva La Frida. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. I love how experiential it is too. It's not just about seeing something and taking it in. You're, you know, you're, you're drinking something, you're engaging with, you know, not, not just, you know, a one-way thing. It's, I, I love the, again, how, how it's a whole bigger thing. You're not just looking at something and maybe reading a little bit of something. It's much more of, a, again, it's, it's more of an experience. That's very cool. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Sounds amazing. Yeah. So cool. And you mentioned a little bit about the Beer Culture Summit. I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that and talk about some of the people that have spoken there and sort of what what you envision for the future. I'm pointing at Christina for those who are just listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I will, I will um, you know, I have to, we had to tell people full transparency, right? When I built the Bruseum, I really wanted to include so many different kinds of people and we have a board of directors like any nonprofit has, and those are very much local folks made up of the museum industry, uh, historians, beer industry, all of the above. And then we have a national advisory board um, that is obviously more of um, folks doing amazing things around the around our country. Um, and then we have uh, another group called the League of Historians which are people from all over the world uh, actively engaged in beer history because you know the one thing no one told me when I started a nonprofit is that I was going to be unable to do as much research as I used to do uh -huh. yeah. because I have to run this organization so the league of historians um uh, are are definitely that group of experts and uh, like I said full transparency Christina is our league of historians um so she speaks often at the beer culture summit because that's what we ask them to do um but the Beer Culture Summit was born um, out of, like you guys, I think most everyone will relate to this. Um, so I involved myself in three different worlds, right? The museum industry, um, the academic world, and then beer. And, you know, I just figured out a way to meld those together at some point in my career. But when you go to the, your conferences, right? You go to a museum conference, you go to the academic conference, even go to a beer fest, right? What I notice is it's the same damn people talking about the same <laughs> damn things over and over again. And it's like, I understand that being there, um, it's great to see colleagues and network and, and learn about what's happening. But the thing I, I immediately noticed was that it's the same people talking to, to each other each time. So what's the value in getting that information out? The people who actually, some other people who actually might be interested in it, don't have access to those spaces, mm -hmm. right? So I thought it might be kind of, and the other thing I, I thought about too was that, you know, some of the academic conference sessions could very much relate to the museum world, but this other stuff could relate to beer as well. So in an effort to, um, 
I don't know, be experimental with something, I decided that it would be really cool to do a mashup of all three of those conferences where it's not just experts. It's literally just anybody who is doing something interesting um, or just, you know, likes to talk about beer, likes to hear about beer, whatever it may be. So the Beer Culture Summit was born and it's basically a three slash four day conference where anybody involved in anything in beer can submit a session proposal um, and host a session. So it's it's a pretty big endeavor. We have an opening night. And of course, the first one started in 2019 and it was in person all here in Chicago. And in 2020, we shifted, of course, to digital. And then uh, in 21 and two, we did hybrid. Um, so we do evening in-person events and then everything else is digital, which is, you know, has been great because it allows us to involve people from all over the world, both in terms of attendees and in terms of speakers. Um, so that's kind of what it is. And, and honestly, like, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to think about all the different sessions that we've done over the last four years. And it really kind of runs the gamut, right? Like, I think there was a great, like it's stuff from the history of hops, right? With, with four like German hops experts and they are talking about, you know, extinction. Um, and, and so it gets really like, you can get really sciencey, right? But then we also had a conversation um, about being black and queer in beer, right? And so it's really kind of like completely all over the place. And I always say there's something for everyone, but it, as long as it, as long as it's talking about beer history or beer culture, um, it's really sort of all there. Amazing. I'm sure Lisa, you've got lots of questions. So I, I, I will let you ask because I keep jumping in. <laughs> no, no, it's great. And I was, as you were saying that, I was just thinking how I've had that same conversation with people in my, my day job line of work where it's the same thing. We go to conferences, it's the same 10 or 15 people talking and we don't want to say anything bad about it because we are some of those same 10 and 15 yeah. people and it's good for us, but we also recognize we need more diversity of thought. You need to get more people in, more people with varied experiences with, you know, different backgrounds and you know, it's always going to be better to just, you know, have a, have a broader representation, but, uh, but it, yeah, no, I, I think it's fascinating. And, and again, I, I think um, what I'd like to find out a little bit more about is I know, you know, you're doing these collaborations. Do you have a kind of, um, I don't know, sort of criteria, if you like to say, hey, this is something where we might want to do an in-person event, or this is something where it makes sense to keep it online or kind of do a mix. It probably depends on the situation, but I wonder if you have a couple kind of planned in the next you know year or so in terms of oh this is going to be in person or this is going to be an online event and uh, just how people can uh, either go and see them or participate I think there's it, it's such an interesting mix of uh, opportunities there yeah I mean so yeah we have four under our belt and three have been digital yeah right so we do have those archives and at some point you know we're, we're still sort of a small entity um yeah. slowly growing um, at some point, we'll have some of those available as part of a membership program. Oh, um, nice. Uh, for our organization. And then in terms of future beer culture summits, you know, I'm starting to already think about this next one, which will happen in the fall, um, usually happens in November. Um, and it's really sort of like sitting down um, with, I don't know, friends, colleagues, saying, you know, you've been involved or you haven't been involved, you know, what's working, what's not, what would you like to see? Mm -hmm. um, really kind of just throwing it out there. And, and certainly I think the digital aspect of um, the conference is very appealing. 
um, just because, you know, you can watch all of this stuff from, you know, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, from the comfort of your home, um, come in and out as you will. Whereas, you know, if, if you have in-person conferences, they're a little bit more intense, right? Yeah. And require more of your time and a little bit more of a labor of love. Um, at the same time, we know that people want to do some of that. So I think this whole hybrid aspect of digital and in-person um, will continue. Uh, I, I'm always trying to find ways to make it more dynamic, right? Um, so I think that'll just keep going uh, the way it is. And, and you know, um, we always like to make sure we, we feature, again, lesser known narratives, um, you know, very committed to a lot of diversity uh, in our, in our presentations and our organization. So if there are people, you know, in the middle of nowhere doing some X, Y, Z work, I would say, please reach out and let us know because I don't know, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, if you let us know, I would love to, to hear about it so that we know you exist and, and hopefully share what you're doing with, with the rest of the world. And that can be someone who literally is doing research or someone who's just making beer or someone who, is talking to communities about beer, whatever it may be, um, definitely open to, to whatever it is. No, very cool. And, and I think it's, you know, like you were saying before, you know, beer is just such an interesting lens to look at different aspects of, of history or community. What would you say have been maybe some of the, the one or two maybe sort of surprising stories you've been able to tell just through that lens? I'm curious if any kind of stand out mm. to you or if it's just kind of all, you're like, well, it's all great. I mean, it's obviously all interesting, but. Uh, you know, it it's, it's not so much, I don't know, maybe it's the way to put it is that it's not so much the stories, but mm -hmm. it's like the impact that the summit, like the the forum it's become. Yeah. Like the one thing that I was shocked about uh, two years ago, there was a session. Um, I don't know if you guys know Ruvani on Twitter. Yeah. Amethyst Heels. Um, Ruvani uh, submitted a session proposal called where are all the South Asians in beer? Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, her proposal was like, look, uh, there are over 5 million people of South Asian heritage in the United States alone. Right. Yet how many of you have heard of South Asian beer makers right, <laughs> right? in the United States? So she put together a panel of brewery owners in the United States, um, all owned by uh, people of South Asian heritage. And they basically just had a conversation of um, their culture um, and infusing their culture into beer and their in, and not just their beer, their business as a whole mm -hmm. in their communities, um, you know, obstacles, kind of some usual conversation. And that was just really eye-opening to me because, you know, I had never you know, known about these different breweries, but I think the most important part for me was, and, and sort of shocking part was when they all said, and Ruveni said this was, it was the first ever panel on South Asians in beer ever in any beer industry, oh, wow. something, wow. right? And so I was shocked because I'm like, this was, you know, this is 2021 at that right. point. How is this possible? And also very humbled and honored that, you know, the Beer Culture Summit, the Bruseum could host this. And so I think that the 
the biggest surprise to me is that people have come to look at this organization as that sort of entity for everyone. Um, and that the summit has become a forum for these opportunities. So I think that's the biggest sort of like, you know, eye opener. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now that's amazing. And, and yeah, and that is shocking. You think, why would that have not already happened either in, mm-hmm. in India or the UK or, oh, you sure. know, you think there's plenty of opportunity, but, you know, fortunately right. you were able to create that opportunity and, you know, uh, give people a, a space for those, those voices, which uh, hopefully will just continue to grow. Um, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. You think 2021. Wow. Like, okay. I know. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always every year, there's always some sort of a, a surprising, um, yeah a surprising topic that I think gets, gets people thinking in a way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I know that the Bruzeum, um, you organize trips to different countries, sort of like beer culture trips. Can you talk a little bit about those? Because uh, that is a life goal of mine to make it on the trips. <laughs> well, you, know, you know, I'm eyeing, you know, I'm eyeing Ireland yes. for a future Bruzeum trip. Make that happen. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of that was so before I started the Bruzeum, again, I had worked in museums um uh for most of my life. And I started doing all of my alcohol research and I started to infuse my research into the museum world. So this was like 2006 and seven. Mm-hmm. And at that point, and I'm not sure about I feel like you know, the United States is always a bazillion years behind everybody else in terms of just thoughtful thinking to anything. (laughs) Um, So in 2006, when I started um, a program at the local museum here, the Chicago History Museum, um, the idea was to take people to different bars and talk about history and talk about the history of that neighborhood through through the bars. That's how my research started. And when I proposed that idea, um, my bosses thought I was nuts, <laughs> right? Like, wait a minute, you want to take people drinking? And I'm like, yes, I sure do. But we're going to talk about stuff. And amazingly, they said, all right, we'll we'll give you a, a trial period, right? And so I, I put together three topics, three neighborhoods, and put the three tours out to the world. And um, they sold out each in about a week, oh, wow. right? Now for the Chicago History Museum to do anything, to sell anything out, was unheard of, right? Um, so the fact that these went like crazy um, was sort of an interesting thing. And so then they allowed me to keep doing things um, and do other things. And the the funny thing that I realized is that as, as you know, 2006, right? It's like 15 years ago or so, 17 years ago, um, museums and alcohol were complete taboo in this country, mm-hmm. like the combination of it, right? Um, I was often criticized that I was trying to dumb down history, that I was just trying to have an excuse to go drink on the job, you oh know, gosh. and the funny thing is I actually never had a, I didn't even have a beer until the very end Yeah. Um, when I was working. Anyway, so it was a kind of a battle and, you know, as, as, as the museum let me do more and more, what of course happened was a few years later, other museums started doing things 
related around alcohol, you know, and now it's like, hey, Thursday night at XYZ Museum, come and drink all the things and walk around the space, right? There's not even anything like real programming to it. Right. So that sort of, I think, helped me sort of for the next path. And this is a very long way to tell you how I got to doing these trips. Um, I ended up leaving the museum, um, gosh, 10 years ago now. And I started doing a lot of consulting um, for other museums and for um, alcohol makers um, in a variety of different ways. And one of the things that, you know, my the reason this whole thing got started was because I do love to drink and I love to drink in different spaces. And often that involves travel, right? I want to go to, you know, the other drinking establishments all over the world and so what I started to do is um, realize that there was an opportunity to bring people along with me when I did that. So I started doing um, organizing trips um, for myself, uh, just for my own company and putting them out there. And, and again, the beauty, I'm, a lot of this stuff has happened because of massive support from different people and organizations. And one of the things that happened when I left the History Museum is all of those folks who had done all those tours with me or come to all those boozy lectures or whatever followed me into the next path of my career. So, you know, the very first trip I ever put together was actually to Scotland. And, you know, lo and behold, all 12 people on that trip I knew because they'd all been on past tours with me, right? Um, and they just trusted me to do this stuff. So that's kind of how it happened here and there. And of course, with with the with the Bruseum, I just have married a lot of my past experiences into um, what I do with the Bruseum because there's so much overlap. Um, so yeah, the goal is really to just, obviously people want to go experience certain things when they go to certain cities, right? Um, but the goal is to work with a lot of local experts, people whom I know, right? Not just some random person I find on, you know, TripAdvisor, right? It's, this is more about like, hey, I know Christina does these awesome walking tours in Dublin, right? She's the expert. She's going to do this for us. Um, and there also, what also ends up happening is because I already have a relationship with a lot of these people, right? There's actually a different kind of, it's not a job, right? right. It is definitely like you, you're this ambassador for your culture. There's a really sort of like a lot of depth and authenticity that comes from it. And people feel that, Right. So I work with all of my networks um, to create these different experiences. And, and again, while, while drinking and uh, a beverage is sort of the anchor um, of, of a lot of these, it's really about education, right? And so the whole goal is to give people experiences that they might not be able to do uh, just by showing up to those countries, those cities on their own, um, and then having them walk away, like understanding um, that place a little bit better and also, you know, having a great appreciation for it. So they go on and tell people, Hey, go visit this country, go visit this city. Um, because there's so much to see and learn. Um, so that's kind of the goal of the trips and, and certainly a way now with the museum to, you know, we've again, so much support from people all over the, the world so that if we can sort of bring ourselves or bring people to those spaces and have them meet people, like you all, right? Um, that's just a completely different experience and allows us to also get to different markets and have other people learn about us. Amazing. And so what are, you've done Scotland, what other places how, have you gone um, or what places do you want to go to? Let's see, I've done Scotland, I've done Austria, um, I've done 
northern Spain. Uh, and then we run a lot of U.S. cities, uh, New Orleans, Boston, um, Milwaukee, the great city of Milwaukee. Um, we're working on Portland, Maine right now, um, where again, right, those are the, like, what, what what's going to happen is I think the big brewery here in the United States out of Portland, Maine is Allagash. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to have a brewery all to ourselves and have a conversation with Rob Todd, who started Allagash. Right. And, and things like that. So um, we're working on Portland, Maine right now. And of course, working on Ireland. Um, it, it's it's I just I was lucky enough to be there uh, last year, early last year and start doing some research um, and thinking about what I want to put together, um, working on Belgium, um, working potentially um, on Norway. Uh, just I, I don't know, like all these different things keep popping up. And I, uh, I get excited about travel and being able to um, work with so many amazing colleagues around the, the globe. So when people mention something, I'm always like, yes, yes, we'll do it, yes. Um, so if there's anyone out there that wants the Brazium to come uh, to your country uh, or to your city, let me know, reach out um, because we'd love to, to work with some local experts and breweries and, and just you know anybody, anybody who wants to. You're here, and we we would not be sad or mad at all if anyone brought some Allagash to Ireland. Just just putting that out yeah. there, <laughs> wouldn't be mad at it, not at all. Next time I go, I'll throw some. Uh, I'll, I'll bring a whole uh, suitcase full of beer for you guys. <laughs> oh well, look forward. Rob's a lovely guy, so that would be an amazing trip. He's he's he just he 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 gives good talk, so always good, yeah, yeah. always good. Yeah. So Lisa, do you have any? Further questions? I, I guess I, I had one on kind of, um, it, you know, it's so hard to think about what's going to be, or I feel like it's, it's, again, I'm getting in my head on, you know, as an ex-archivist, I'm like, what are the stories we should be capturing now? What are the things we might lose? What are the things we want to make sure we're, we're trying to get that are, you know, so that we have them for the future? What are some of those that you might be looking at, at the moment to think about how do we capture some of this moment so we have something, you know, for say, you know, 20, 30, 50 years down the line uh, that yeah. might be in the collection. I mean, I really think that, you know, um, having sort of that mindset of modern breweries, thinking about their stories, you know, like like your your business history, yeah. you know, your living, your living history right now. So save the papers, save the please, labels, please, yes. save all that stuff. My colleague, um, Teresa McCullough at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History, um, she, she is definitely a big, um, um, she's a big muscle in that, you know, her position is really focused on preserving and documenting, um, modern beer history. So 1960s, um, and beyond. And so I think that is a major sort of just accomplishment in a way, because people yeah. don't think about that. Right. Um, and she's constantly pushing sort of these smaller craft breweries to do the same, um, so I think that's definitely key, um, you know, in, in, in moments around how beer reacts to current events, mm. right? Um, here, you know, with with everything that happened in 2020, you know, sort of like um, reactions to the pandemic and how, you know, what breweries did to survive um, or how they adjusted uh, business 
or to, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, You know, what are these things even to today, you know, with with our um, ridiculous Supreme Court um, and, you know, reversing abortion, it's like, you know, there are a lot of breweries who are taking a stand against that and or, or voting rights in this country are, are absurd, right? So I think that um, a lot of the way the drinking culture, the brewing industry, the alcohol industry, consumers uh, react and sort of um, try to make change uh, is incredibly important in us also preserving those narratives and those stories, because that's kind of like what we talk about, right? As a historian, I, you know, I, I live in the past. So I like, you know, 1800s is like my golden, my golden era. And, you know, that for, for, for an American historian, that's key because that's the beginning of our, of our beer industry, um, here. And so you think about all these immigrant stories, right? You think about all these labor movements, um, you think about innovation and technology, um, industry engineering that really were created out of the the desire for you know beer and 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 just people's ability to create something and also make a living off of it. Um, you know these are important stories, and so that's happening. Right, history repeats itself, and it's certainly happening again. And so I wish that we had a lot of documentation of some of these major events surrounding beer in the 19th century. And so I think that today we're seeing some of that too. And and if people can just start saving stuff, um, that'll be important. Yeah, I keep thinking that with the wave of breweries closing more in the UK, you know, than, than here. But I'm just like, I just want to go over there and say, just just save the stuff, yeah. put it somewhere, talk to someone. We can store yeah. it for you somewhere. Just don't just throw everything out. You know, this is going to be so important, even if now it's kind of painful. It's uh, yeah, it's so important to keep some of it. Again, it's you know, doesn't have to be all of it, but yeah. You know, well, I mean, and also like the really work that you it. guys are doing, right? The work that you guys are doing and and recording some of these stories. Um, you know, that's that's a technology that's incredibly important to preservation of these narratives. Um, so, you know, keep podcasting, keep listening, everybody. Here, <laughs> uh, here, here, here. Love it. So I have one last question. What is the future of the museum? What what do you want to do? What are your goals? Um, there's a lot happening. Um, we will hopefully have a major announcement at the end of this year. Um, it actually does not have to do with location because that's always what people think. Um, It's a different major announcement. Um, you know, we want to have the goal. We just, we, we got a a big grant, um, for a strategic plan and there are a number of interviews with people all over, um, about the organization, even with people who never heard of us. Right. Um, just sort of like, here's this organization, tell us your thoughts. And our consultant did a fantastic job. And the one, one of the main takeaways was that people want a physical location. Like they, they desperately want a space to get deep into, into these, these stories. Um, so we know that we want a location. So that's definitely going to be a goal um, for us as well. But, you know, it can, I want to continue to grow our partnerships and collaborations. You know, we, we thrive. Um, that's really kind of our, our, our base is that we don't want, we can't do this alone. We don't want to do it alone. And so continue to build partnerships and collaborations with uh, museums and other nonprofits and other alcohol makers around the world. 
um, to tell these stories. We want to, you know, make the Beer Culture Summit, you know, at some point, one of the biggest events ever. Um, you know, we, we, you see a lot of these beer events and a lot of these um, just conferences of sorts. And, and I feel like the Beer Culture Summit can be that um, at some point as we continue to grow it and make it bigger and better. Um, you know, we just want to keep kind of doing what we're doing, um, but just make sure we get more people involved and, and, and aware of what, of what our work, uh, means. So Lisa, do you have any final questions? I, I only have one thing that, uh, again, uh, because Tandy and Katie couldn't be with us tonight, they wanted us to ask oh, a right. fun <laughs> personal question. Oh, okay. And again, it's not the bad kind of personal question, but it's, you know, it's more kind of, um, I'm trying to think how, how, oh yes. What kind of beer would you be if you had to be one? Ooh. So pick a style and it could just be today. It could, it may change, Man. but we can blame them. They're not here today. So yeah, I it's mean... a question we ask ourselves a lot of times after a couple of bites. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a. uh, in a lot of way I'm a traditionalist right I just kind of like the basic stuff because it's like why if you know the old saying if it ain't broke don't fix it right right <laughs> definitely um I mean I'm a big fan of lagers uh you know light refreshing uh easy drinking go with the flow I like that's you know I like to think of myself as um you know easy to easy to just hang out with um no drama for god's sakes <laughs> Um, at the same time, I love a really good pale ale, you know, just a really good ale. Um, you know, I like, I like milds, I like bitters, uh, you know, so something just uh, honestly, if I had to pick something, I would just say, you know, think of a basic ale or lager that's historically brooded and I'll probably go that route for sure. Oh, I love that. Awesome. So thank you, Liz, so much for, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. This has been absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. I've learned so much, and I literally bucket list to make it on one yes. of these beer trips Here, uh, yeah. besides Ireland. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so again, thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate it. And um, thank you to everyone listening. And again, make sure to check us out on our socials. And um, yeah, so thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.